chapter 6, beginning with verse number 6. Proverbs 6, verse number 6. The Bible says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth for her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth, and thy want as an armed man. I want to title this uh, today, Solomon's Greatest Advice. Solomon's Greatest Advice. Lord bless you. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Solomon, uh, he was what many would refer to as the wisest man on earth. I will second him only to Jesus because we know that Jesus was the wisest man that ever walked this earth. But Solomon prayed and asked, I think I spoke about it last week, for a heart of understanding. He wanted to be able to discern things that normal people wouldn't discern. He wanted wisdom. Uh, wisdom, uh, or rather knowledge, is knowing what to do. Wisdom is knowing when to do what you know and when not to do. There's a lot of people that have knowledge, but they lack in wisdom. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. And so we can't just seek knowledge. You can get knowledge out of a book. There's, there's a lot of people that have a whole library, and, and they have all kind of knowledge. But it's what to do with that knowledge that that's when it becomes wisdom. So Solomon, uh, the second wisest man that, that ever walked on the earth, he wrote many, many things. book of Proverbs is, is full of wisdom. In fact, one of the habits that I try to do, I may skip a day here or there, but, but I try to do it is, is I try to read whatever day of the month it is, I'll read that chapter in Proverbs. So every month you read Proverbs over and over and over. Just whatever day it is, that's the day I read. And uh, so if you don't have a, a, a consistent habit and you don't know where to start, today is November 17th, read Proverbs 17. Tomorrow, read Proverbs 18. Because you, you ever, I promise you, every time you read it, every month you're going to get back to that same chapter 17 you're going to see something that you probably missed the month before because your season of life changes. And the season that you're in is what you see the most. It's kind of like, Brother Black, when you go buy a, a, a vehicle and, and you buy a, a, a red vehicle or a blue vehicle or a black expedition, you know what I see when I leave the lot? Black expeditions everywhere. Now, they were already on the road. But because I entered into a season of life I wasn't in before, now my senses are heightened to a particular subject, and I'm seeing them everywhere. So when you're in a season, 
Something's going to speak to you that didn't speak to you the month before or two months before because your season changed. And so God will highlight something in your life or in the Scripture to match what season you're in in your life. So Solomon filled the book of Proverbs with all kind of nuggets that will, that will help us, such as the full soul loath at the honeycomb, but to the hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet. That one verse, I chew on that verse all the time because there's a difference in someone that's so full and someone that's so hungry. And we've got people that's been living for God that have never digested what they ate last week, so they're not hungry for anything else. And you got somebody that digested it and came back saying, I'm, I want more of that. So it don't matter what you preach, they'll just eat it up. And somebody that's spiritually full, you could preach the best message and they won't eat it. Full soul loath at the honeycomb, but to the hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet. Nuggets like that are all throughout the book of Proverbs that are applicable to where we are in life. But, but I, I've got to admit to you today that I strongly believe that the text that I read for your consideration can be, and this is debatable in some, but this is my opinion, can be labeled as Solomon's greatest advice for a New Testament believer. There must be something we can learn. If Solomon took the time to talk about an ant, what we despise, what's so minute and we kill all the time, there has to be something valuable that we can gain if Solomon took the time to write about it. And I believe there is. He utilizes one simple verse to reveal the secret to spiritual success. Although it is masked quite well, we can examine the life of an ant and we can arrive at a conclusion that will prove to be Solomon's greatest advice. Ants are considered a nuisance. They're considered a pest. They're destructive. They're irritating. Fill in the blank, and it's going to be all of them. I cannot stand. I've got mounds popping up in my yard everywhere right now. And, and I had to go buy an extra five gallons of gas. I'm picking, okay. Not really. Lord, forgive me. But we had to get rid of some ant piles. And don't report me, please. But you got to do what you got to do. But listen to some facts about some ants. There's over 12,000 different species of ants in the world, in the world. An ant can live up to 20 times its own body weight. If you compare that to can you lift up to 20 times of your own body weight? We can't. I can't. They don't have ears, but they hear by feeling vibrations in the ground through their feet. And regardless of your viewpoint of an ant, they are extremely remarkable creatures that God made. There's three types of ants in a colony. There's the queen, there's the male, and there's the workers, which are female. And the design of this species is basically 
flawless and consistent because each ant understands its role in the colony. They understand this is what I was made to do, and I do what I was designed to do. And there's no squabbling if ants could squabble. There's no arguing. This is, this is just how God made me, and this is what I do. Y'all got to help me. I see laughing, and I don't want to break out laughing right now. So listen, here's the responsibilities. The male, its sole purpose is reproduction. The female, its sole purpose is to lay eggs and produce new ants. And the workers, often known as soldiers, protect the queen, defend the colony, gather or kill food, and attack enemy colonies. That's what they do. But I, I want to focus on the parallel. Remember, everything has a spiritual parallel that we can apply to our own life. So here's the parallel. The male in the church is the Word. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1.23, being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the Word of God which liveth and abideth forever. The male in the ant colony is for reproduction. In the church, it's the Word of God that brings a reproduction in the spirit world because we are begotten by the Word. The queen is the church, Galatians 4.26, but Jerusalem, which above, is free, which is the mother of us all. And workers are the saints of God, otherwise known as soldiers, 2 Timothy 2 and 3, a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And if we do our part as workers, God and the church will perform their roles accordingly. Solomon in verse 6 is addressing a mindset, not necessarily a person. A sluggard is not a person. It's a mindset. Okay? It can be in anybody. Sluggard. It's a person who is habitually inactive or lazy. And there are good people who can be considered sluggards. You can think of people in your own life that every, you describe that person in one word, lazy. Sometimes just say sluggard. They're just just lazy. They're lazy. But here's what he says. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. If you want to learn how to be effective in life, look at the ant. Consider her ways and be wise. So let's look at the end. Verses 7 and 8 says, Which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. Notice the chief attribute of an ant. I could describe it in one word. Diligence. Nobody there saying, all right, you go get food now. We know we need food. Go get food. The ant understands this is my role. This is my responsibility. 
and I don't have, I don't need somebody prod me every day saying, do this, do that. An ant operates through diligence. Diligence. Everything they do is filled with purpose and it's filled with passion because they understand the good of the colony rests upon their shoulders. Do you realize that a church does not hinge or that the growth and the success of a church does not hinge upon one person? It doesn't. It's a body, or let me use the word to describe the ant, a colony where we all have to do what we were designed to do to make the body work. And if if it takes every day someone coming to you and say, all right, you need to pray. All right, you need to fast. You need to read your Bible. Then you're lacking diligence in your own life. Let me just say this. If you do it because someone tells you to do it, then you're lacking the passion that God desires in a relationship. I don't have enough time to go through the whole directory and call and check and make sure everybody's doing what they're going to do. My pastor used to tell me, he used to tell he used to say, I'm a pastor, not a policeman. And that's the truth. We're not police officers calling and, and trying to see if we can catch you doing anything wrong. I'd rather catch you doing right than catch you doing wrong. So we have to have a diligence in our own life to make sure that we're being what God called us to be. To be, Bible says, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. Their ability to make it through tough times was dependent upon their diligence in storing up food. The same aspect applied to Israel. The only way they made it through the famine was because Joseph was sent ahead of them to do what? Store up food. He was diligent. God put in him wisdom. And you have to be this, operate in the same diligence in your spiritual journey. There's seasons in living for God. And you understand what I'm saying because you've been there. When you are just operating on a spiritual high, where things are going great in your life, and, 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 and you're just loving the Word, you're loving being so close to God, you know what you do during that season? You get fat. You just store up food. You feast on the Word. You feast in prayer. You, you, you just build up because there's another season coming where you're going to open that book and you're going to say, there's nothing in there that applies to me. This whole book, there's nothing that applies to me. You're not going to want to read the Word. You're not going to feel like you're soaring up here. And so you have to live off of what you stored up. It'll carry you through that season. So what happens is if you don't store up during the good times, then when you hit that season, you're going to feel like you're so malnourished and so weak. How can I make it through this? So you got to get fat when, th when things are great. And then you got to make it off of what you stored up 
during that lean time until you come out of it again. Does that make sense? Same principle that the ant does, we have to do. Same principle that Joseph did with, 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 with Israel, and um, rather Egypt, we have to do. We cannot just think, well, things are going good. I can take a break right now. I don't have to read the word like I was. I, I, I don't have to. No, you still have to. You still have to feast on that word. This word never gets old. I, I will self-admit, I have a hard time. This is just my nature. I have a hard time focusing, not just on this book, on anything. Focusing on anything. I could be in the middle of a service and I could be thinking of 25 different things that I need to do. I could be reading a book and I'll be starting the chapter. And I've I got to flip to the end of the chapter to see what happens. I just I can't focus. I can think of all kinds of things to do. and, and I, So I have to I operate by timers. I have to set a timer. Tyler, you're going to read your Bible for this long. Tyler, you're going to read a secular book or a self-help book for this long. And you're going to pray, and here's your time. Because if I don't operate by timers, then I'll, I'll be at the end of the day, and I'll look back and go, well, didn't get much done today. So you have, to, you have to be diligent. You have to be diligent in trying to, to, to glean and to store up. Bible says, Proverbs 13 and 4, the soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. The sluggard is going to be starving because they're lazy. They're lazy. But the diligent is going to be the one that's going to have a fat belly and a fat wallet because they were diligent. Daniel is heralded as a great man for escaping the den of lions. But I want you to know his greatness started way before the den of lions. Daniel 6 and 4, Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault. They were looking for some flaw, some loophole, something that they could say, hey, this is where you messed up, buddy. But watch this. They couldn't find a thing. Why? For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Daniel was faithful to his God. Daniel was diligent. This, it wasn't an overnight romance with the Lord. He had, he had been faithful to God. He wasn't a weekend warrior. Faithfulness is likened to diligence. And if there's one thing God loves, is God loves faithfulness. He loves faithfulness. Verse 10, Daniel 6. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed 
and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. He didn't all of a sudden say, oh, you know what? They signed this into, in, in, into existence, this decree. All right, I'm going to go pray three times today. It's just a show up. He didn't do that. He did what he was already doing this whole time. I'm just going to keep on praying. I'm just going to keep on being diligent. I'm just going to keep on being faithful to God. And, and the whatever happens, happens. But it's not going to affect my faithfulness. We've got too many people that are letting their commitment to God be dictated by whichever way the wind blows. Well, if this one's doing this over here and, it's, and, and they can get away with it, then I'm going to go do this over here with them. Let me tell you what you can't put a price tag on. You can change friends, but you can't get rid of your conscience. My conscience is too valuable to me because you start messing with your conscience. You're messing with the voice of God and how God directs and speaks to you. And so you start compromising your conscience and saying, well, you know what? They're doing this, and they're okay with it. That's their conscience. That's not your conscience. Oh, and, and, and then, well, these people over here, and pretty soon you have compromised your conscience. And you've compromised the way God speaks to you. You've got to guard that conscience. Daniel didn't let what anybody else was doing affect him. He was worried about the Lord. He was worried about his relationship with God. This was nothing new to Daniel. It did not deter him because he made frequent deposits in his account. Therefore, when he needed to make a withdrawal, his funds were available. Some people try to start praying when things are going bad but they haven't made any deposits when things were going good. You cannot withdraw what you don't deposit. So when you keep making deposits in the good times, you're going to have something to draw out in the bad times. You just keep making those deposits in, the, in your spirit, deposits in prayer, deposits in fasting, deposits in reading the Word. you got to have a, a love for the Word of God. I was never in the military but I've talked to people that were. And one thing that is common across the Army, the Marines, the National Guard, and all armed forces is they have a good understanding, a rather a thorough understanding of their weapon and their equipment that they are supposed to be using. And so if this is our equipment that we've been given to navigate this, we better have a thorough understanding of what this says and how this applies to our life. The only way you know that is you got to get in it. You got to get in it. You got to dissect it. You got to know it. You got to read it. You got to love it. Diligence is vital in our walk with God. Diligence is the earnest conscientious application of our energy to accomplish what we've undertaken. When we are diligent, we pay careful attention to detail and are dedicated to achieving quality results. Our diligence determines the quality of our relationship with God. And can I also tell you it determines the quality of the church. Diligence, people who are 
diligent. I, I would walk into revivals and in places I was supposed to go, and, and I'd start looking. There's two things I looked at. I looked at the prayer rooms, and I looked at how the sheep were acting as soon as they were dismissed. Because if the prayer rooms were empty and everybody took off running as soon as church was over, that wasn't a healthy church because the sheep didn't want to didn't want to graze. They didn't want to mingle with each other. That's why I love this church. It's after service. You have some that leave, but, but there's fellowship amongst church people. There's prayer rooms where people are in the prayer rooms. I've walked in churches. They sang and shouted for an hour and 40 minutes. Now, that's a lot of singing, an hour and 40 minutes. But the prayer rooms were empty. You can't build a church on music. You can gather a crowd, but you can't build a church on music. It takes the preaching of the Word. It takes prayer to build a church. Diligence means that we're continually working toward our goals, making use of what resources and opportunities are available. We are vigilant to avoid errors and to stay focused on the task at hand. Our diligence provides a basis for people trusting us with jobs that are tricky or complicated and also important to them. Diligence does not rely on talent but employs commitment, industry, and perseverance to transform vision into reality. Vigilant to avoid errors and stay focused on the task at hand. The word vigilant means keenly watchful to detect danger ever awake and alert, sleeplessly watchful. This is what Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Let me tell you who, what kind of people the enemy preys on. Passive inconsistent, those that are just happy to be here. Diligence does not rely on talent. I'd rather have someone less talented but diligent and faithful to the kingdom of God. And I'll take diligence and faithfulness over talent any day. I remember a guy years ago, he had, all, he had all the ingredients to be used by God. He could sing. The dude could sing like you wouldn't believe. Everybody loved to hear him sing. He could preach. He, he had all of the ingredients you would think to be used by God. But I remember one day, because we worked on the same job together years ago, he was talking and he said, Pastor told me that I need to be teaching Bible studies. He said, I'm done teaching Bible studies. I need to be preaching. That's what he told me. And in my mind, I said, Lord, it's only a matter of time before he won't even be here. He won't even be in the church. You know why? Because the one thing that he was missing was diligence the things of God. You never get above teaching a Bible study. 
You never get above sitting with somebody who, who you have nothing in common with other than the fact that y'all were both born sinners. And you have a love for that person that you don't even know because you don't want them to go to hell. Nobody's bigger than a Bible study. Nobody's bigger than reaching people, doesn't matter where they're at. And you know what? He's not even living for God today. And it's a travesty because he had all the right tools, except he didn't want to do the little things. He wanted to do the big things that everybody saw. He didn't want to do the little things that only God saw. Nobody in the kingdom is above, starting right here, is above doing the little things. Nobody. Whatsoever your hand findeth to do, do it with all of thy might. I remember a pastor friend of mine. He had a young guy he was developing, and, and the guy had a ton of potential. Hand of God was on his life. But my buddy's like a, he's like a drill sergeant. I mean, he is a stickler for details. Like you, nobody you've ever met before. He, he, I, I like things a certain way, but he takes it to a whole other level. And he started grooming this guy when he was just in his mid-teens. Guy had the hand of God in his life, and he had a passion for God. So he started teaching him things before he ever put him in a pulpit. He started teaching him how to be have the heart of a servant. He started teaching him how to clean the toilets, how to wipe with a rag. He, he said, you know, you can't get a mop behind the toilet. So he showed him how to get there on his knees with a rag and clean all around the toilets in the bathrooms of the church. Taught him how to do all kind of things that had nothing to do with the pulpit, but it had everything to do with being a servant and having a heart of a servant in the kingdom of God. Because if you can't do that, then you don't need this. And so he had been teaching him, when you mop the floor in the hallways, pick up the match, mop the floor, put the match back down. Something so simple that people really don't think about. Nobody's going to see underneath the mat. But he knew it's about doing it with excellence. And so one day, he went out. He had, he told him to make sure he mopped, and he had showed him how to pick up the mats and all that. And so he went out to the truck, and the young man came and got in the truck, and he said, you got it all done? He said, yes, sir. He said, okay. He said, uh, mop the floor? Yes, sir. He said, uh, did you underneath those mats? Yes, sir. I said, okay. He said, your paycheck was underneath the mat. He didn't have his paycheck with him. Lesson learned. He's always done underneath the mat since. Whatever you your hand finds to do, you do it with all your might, regardless of who's watching. Because it's about being diligent in the things of God. Whether we're vacuuming the carpet. I like all the lines to go a certain way, which you can't see in this kind of carpet. But in this fluffy carpet, I walk in, the first thing I look for is which way the lines are going. Because I like all the lines to be going a certain way. I know I'm crazy. My wife told me that before. I just like, I just like things a, a certain way. Diligence. So this is what he said. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? 
When wilt thou arise out of sleep? Once you, once you take a service off, okay, once you miss a service, you can go to heaven with missing one service. I'm not going to argue with that. But I can tell you, I'm not talking about something you can't handle. I'm talking about missing a service just to miss a service. I can tell you this. Once you miss one, it's easier to miss two. Then you miss that second one, it's easier to miss number three. I could take you to a person right now that started staying home with their elderly mother, which was a valid reason, but it, it just so happened it got to be really convenient to stay with her on church night. And stayed with her mother for such a long time, and the mother finally passed, but you know what didn't happen? She never started going back to church. It started with a noble cause, I need to sit with my mother. But it turned into something that she lost out with God because she stopped going to church. Stopped going to church. So if at all possible, you need to be in the house of the Lord because you gain strength from the Word, the Spirit, the fellowship. You got it. You need to be in the house of the Lord. Many people today are sleeping because they failed to be diligent. This is what drove Paul to say in Romans 13, 11, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. How many has been living for God 50 years? There's a good number. Been living for the Lord at least 50 years. Okay. 50 years ago, were they preaching the Lord's fixing to come back? They were. They were preaching Acts 2.38, get right with God. They would preach about hell. In fact, I'm going to tell a funny story. I'm not going to name his name. But the evangelist that we just had, That way, if anybody's watching doesn't know church name, you'll understand what I'm fixing to say. He told me, he said, I was in a revival. And it, it was if it's close to his house, sometimes his wife goes with him. This was years ago. But, uh, you know, preaching on hell used to be a big, big thing. They preached it so hot, you couldn't crawl to the altar fast enough. But this particular evangelist, Finally, his wife, they, they were in revival in this church, and his wife said, baby, I love to hear you preach. But for six weeks, you've preached on hell every service. Can you please preach something positive tonight? So this evangelist got to the pulpit that night, and he said, my wife talked to me today, and I didn't even realize for six weeks, I've been preaching on hell every service. And she asked me if I'd preach something positive tonight. He said, so I'm going to. I'm going to preach something positive. He said, here's what I want to preach. I'm positive that half of y'all are going to hell. <laughs> and you understand the person and the joke behind it. 
But they were preaching the coming of the Lord 50 years ago. They were preaching on hell. They were preaching on getting right with God and shunning things that would hinder your relationship with God. They were preaching being diligent in your walk with God. That's what instilled in the elder generation such a fervor and a passion for the things of the Lord. And if they were that diligent back then, 50 years ago, we're 50 years closer to the coming of the Lord. We shouldn't be preaching that less. We should be preaching that more and emphasizing we need to be diligent in our walk with God. We need to be diligent in our households and in our attendance to the house of God. The one thing the enemy will feast on is people that will be sleeping. Here's what I've noticed. A thief will move when he sees inconsistencies. If he, if, if a, if a, a thief knows that this light's on and this, uh, and, and this person's always on. When they see something change, they'll make a move. And the enemy looks for inconsistencies in our life. People who are sleeping, listen to me, people who are sleeping spiritually are also wanting because their life is void of what they need the most. You need prayer. You need fasting. You need the Word. You need church in your life. Stand with me as we conclude our Sunday school time. Solomon's greatest advice came from instructing us to observe an ant. The something so small, something that we see, we, 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 we kill as many of them as we can, but we ignore the spiritual implications and advice that we can put in our own life. I don't want to have a sluggard mentality. I want to be diligent. Let's lift our hands and thank the Lord for his word. Father, I thank you today for this church. I thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that we would not let it return void, but, God, that we would apply it to our own life. Jesus, that we would heed the word and become diligent, even more so than what we've already been, that we may prove a fruitful relationship with our Lord and Savior we give you glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Shake hands and visit with one another. We're going to transition into our evening worship service.